Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Each week, we bring an outstanding woman who is a leader in her field. These amazing women are role models for living your life purposes, how to be resilient and create positive relationships, build successful careers, and discover your own natural ability to lead. Now, if you listen to these conversations, you know I've been doing these interviews with leading women for over 10 years. I love sharing their stories, and so, and so much so, I chose 19 of the best experts from these interviews to co-author my book, Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. It's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and the business section of your area bookstores. I'm very excited this week. I'm pleased to introduce you to another amazing award-winning journalist, Patricia Amstett. Patricia is an experienced medical writer who worked for 40 years in newspaper journalism in Chicago, Washington, D.C., and her hometown of Detroit. She retired from the Detroit Free Press in 2011, and this year was inducted into the Michigan Journalism Hall of Fame and was named Headliner of the Year by the Association for Women in Communication. With breast cancer as her focus, her award-winning stories have covered everything from pricing disparities and poor quality of Detroit mammography centers to the silicone breast implant controversy that was in the 1990s. Her stories and the mammography guide she produced with the American Cancer Society have been credited with driving improvements. Her new book, Breast Cancer Surgery and Reconstruction, What's Right for You offers a glimpse into modern breast surgery and reconstruction with stories and photos of real women that provide a realistic and compelling look at what these procedures entail and the impact it has on women's lives. It's a very unique book and helps women with issues surrounding their choices, but brings also wonderful insight for those who are looking at this procedure. I am very pleased to welcome such a dedicated writer on behalf of women. Thank you, Patricia Amstett, for joining me with Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Well, good morning, Patricia. Thank you for being with me. You are an amazing writer and doing some amazing things with your words. So welcome to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Thank you so much, Dr. Nancy. I look forward to telling women about some of the important issues that not enough know about regarding breast cancer surgery and reconstruction options. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk about you first because I think the stories that women tell about why they do what they do and why they become who they are is so very, very important. So you've written this amazing book, uh, Breast Cancer Surgery and Reconstruction, What's Right for You. But what led you to this point and why, uh, who, who am I talking to today? How did you become the person I'm talking to today? Well, I'm... Uh a long-time uh, medical writer. Five years ago, after 22 years as medical writer at the Detroit Free Press, I retired and I thought I'd go off and do gardening and tennis. But uh, <laughs> a, a dear friend of mine had breast cancer, and I noticed she kept going back to the plastic surgeon. And I had written about breast cancer extensively in my career, but what she w- was about to tell me brought too many aha moments for me. And as a journalist, when I have that kind of reaction, I know that other women need to know what I'm hearing. She got my attention immediately by saying, you know that larger-breasted, fuller-figured women have fewer choices 
and poorer outcomes with breast cancer surgery and reconstruction. They said, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. No one talked about that, and they still don't talk about it enough. And then there were other issues. Um, I went with her and her mother on a road trip. She said, uh, I'm going to get my nipples tattooed. And she went to one of the top nipple tattoo artists in the country, and he too set me straight. Who would think that a lot of women who go through reconstruction never end up with nipples? They're hard to recreate surgically and so on. So it was these kinds of revelations, even to someone who had covered breast cancer quite extensively, um, that led me to ask more questions and write this book that it turns out is one of the very few on the subject and few, the only one really with personal stories on the record of women who share their insights with other women. Yeah, the book is full of wonderful stories about women that have gone through reconstruction, and, and a lot of them are very young women. And I think that's a – well, by, by the way, I am a, I'm a founder of a, of a breast cancer foundation. My sister-in-law, my very best friend, also <clears throat> had breast cancer and started a foundation. So I'm very familiar with these issues and reconstruction I'm very familiar with as well because it truly is a challenge for women once they've had their surgeries, then they find out the reconstruction is just another whole huge process. And as you said, a very challenging process for these women um, because they're not really informed, they don't really know, and, uh, you know, and and it's not not always successful and it's not always, uh, well, they're never their breasts again. You know, they're never what they had before. And and this is... This is something that should be discussed and talked about, and, you know, it's going to keep happening. And, again, mammography and many of the medical procedures have improved, and and that's the good news. Let me start by asking you this, because, you know, you had this personal journey with your friend, which, of course, is why we often at times end up doing what we're doing, which is the important thing. But how has it changed, and and what, what do you see going on? I know these stories are extremely important and I urge people to read them, but how have things changed, and what were they like before, and how have they changed? I think one of the biggest changes is that many women no longer are content to ask their doctor, if I were your sister, what would you recommend? And it's not that that's not a valuable question somewhere along the line, but today, particularly young women who are having these surgeries for prevention of breast cancer, they want all the information they want to fly on the wall, which I tried to be by watching surgeries and other procedures from start to finish. So the women today that approach this subject are approaching it much differently, and it's totally changed the world of breast cancer surgery and plastic surgery. And now women want to be part of a team where they have a say in all of the decisions made and they are presented with the options. They don't want to just be told well, here's a good doctor. I always send my patients to him, and he does a good job. Well, uh, okay, but uh, does he do all the different options? Unfortunately, in medicine, there's turf and money and hospital choices that get and networks that get in the way, and so women often will be referred from a breast surgeon to one person who does one thing, and right. in this case, it's usually reconstruction with implants, And they may not ever hear about some of the other choices, particularly some of the newer methods of doing these procedures. So I see this really as an important 
women's right to know issue. It's right up there on my radar now with like birth control. I mean, these are with breastfeeding. These are things that women need to know about and still don't get all the information they need. Well, but of course, you know, the first the first time a woman has receives a diagnosis that she has breast cancer can be extremely. You know, I mean, let's face it, you, you regress very, very quickly and, and feel very, very helpless. Not everyone has a great support system out there. You know, I mean, you, she had you as a great friend, but why these support groups have started, why these uh, associations, these foundations are so important is because having some people to help and walk through, walk down those roads and those paths, past with you is so very, very important, and uh, and to find out that you're not alone and that other people have been there and done that and been there before you. So I understand that some people are better at asking questions, but it's also extremely important to have that advocate to be with you, to, to walk with you, and to, you know, we, when you receive that diagnosis, to sit down and start even talking about from, from that moment on what kinds of procedures not everyone has to have, uh, you know, full-blown re- uh, removal of breast. There's lump- lumpectomies. There's so many other options now that before, basically, if a woman had cancer, they just removed everything. You know, it's just, I mean, lymph nodes, everything, and really, really, really destroyed women's bodies. That reconstruction wasn't even possible. Right. You know, you put your finger on something that's just in- incredibly important to reinforce, and that is women are just so traumatized by a diagnosis of breast cancer that they rush through surgery options even if they want to be informed. It's such a stunning thing. And I agree with you that it's very important to bring someone along. We counsel people to um, even ask to tape record the interview. You don't want to miss anything. You want to be right there understanding these issues. And And if you're finding this overwhelming, be there with someone who won't find it overwhelming. So uh, that's that's very important. But then it's also important down the road because reconstruction can stretch on for, for months sometimes to have others to turn to. And so increasingly uh, women are looking for information and they're asking for more. So we ended up writing a book that it turned out, I just want to, you asked me who I am, Here I am, I've been in the newspaper business for 40 years, thought I was going to retire, and I ended up doing what has become the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my career. I I cannot tell you, a week doesn't go by when I don't hear about someone who benefited from the book, wants the book, feels the need to get the book to others, and they once women are on this path to find more information, they realize how hard it is to come by some of this information. And so I'm working with people. There's a woman now who has started a foundation to get the book to underserved women for free. Um, The Pink Book Foundation has started to take requests, and uh, you can email Julie Wright with the foundation at jjwright, W-R-I-G-H-T, for at ms.com. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. In fact, uh, my, my sister-in-law, Mary Beth O'Reilly, uh, you know, want to get this information to her because it's always nice to hand something to someone who's, you know, I've been through reconstruction, but here's a, here's a great book. Here's stories. Here's women you can relate to. It sounds like you also, do you have a support system that people can call as well? 
Um, I don't offer that um, because there are a lot of good multidisciplinary programs now. They have some wonderful people. Um, the other thing I do is I hook people up with some groups that might be helpful to them, be it a group called FORCE, Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered, which is for uh -huh. women with the BRCA mutations and other groups. And we also try to post on a regular basis on a website uh, that I have set up as well as a Facebook page with information about all kinds of new developments in the field of breast cancer and breast cancer surgery so that women have free access to some of these new developments in the field. Well, you and I both know probably this is the greatest fear of most women. You know, it's when, when a woman, I, I know from myself, every time I go in for my own uh, mammography, it's, <laughs> there's always that, that silent prayer and that uh, kind of that, uh, you know, they say, you know, wait, we'll, we'll, we'll be back and make sure that that's a clear scan and whatever. And you kind of wait in, the, in that waiting room. It's, it always feels cold in there and it always feels very lonely, but you wait those seconds sometimes feel like hours waiting for them to go, okay, go ahead and put your clothes on and da-da-da, you know. One of the things that I always do, and I think this is something women can do and should do with the radiologist, is once you've had a mammogram, especially if you've ever had a suspicious mammogram, which I had, and finally ended up having an ultrasound, but again, it was just, just a benign cyst, but was that, you know, I wanted to see what they saw, I wanted to talk about it, I wanted more hands-on, and it was interesting at first. I felt like I was really challenged to do that as if, you know, hey, we've read it. It's, it's done. Go ahead. Go away. You know, we're, we're good. But So I basically left that health care system and started going to a, a private clinic where I could be screened and sit down with the radiologist each and every time I had a, a mammogram done so that I could sit down and, then, and they could actually show me if there had been any changes in the particular benign cyst that was on my right breast. And, you know, it was such a comfort to me, but it was so interesting. And not, interesting is really not the word I want to use. I, you know, if anything, I, it really just pissed me off. It made me mad that they would not take the time, would not take the time to sit down with me and just mm -hmm. show me that everything was okay because I'm visual. You know, I'm, I'm a very visual person. But I think that, again, goes back to women's rights when it comes to our bodies, that wait a minute, don't just you know throw me in a machine and then tell me things are okay and uh, you know there's no no nothing's changed and everything's good. I mean the thing is is that we have to start at the very beginning of the process of saying wait a minute, this is my body, this is a issue for women and this is something that frightens me and I want to I want to be assured that everything's okay. You know. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, and I think. I'm just kind of on my own podium, which is basically, you know, I'm sure you can talk to any woman that's been through something at some point in her, in her medical history that she's had something that she was told, well, you know, you have this, and it, you know, but it's okay, but still wonders, like I did, well, okay, I wondered, what exactly are you looking at? And some benign, uh, some cysts, basically, they can convert. You know, I mean, it, and so the thing is, is that we as women have to start as early as possible. Maybe this is what we start telling our daughters who are, who are going in for their first mammogram or, or any kind of exam, is that this is your body. The person that you're working with, this doctor, this physician, is basically part of a team that is there for you to keep you healthy, you know. Yeah. 
there's a great example, Dr. Nancy, of, um, of this going on right now with uh, a term called dense breasts. There are a lot of women, up right. to 50% of women who get mammograms who have what are called dense breasts, which right. don't, right. Uh, the cancer on their mammograms doesn't show up nice and clear. It's just so, the cells are so densely packed that it's hard to find cancer. And now 31 states, including the one where I live, uh, Michigan, have laws requiring notification of women with this type of presentation on a mammogram. Well, that's very important because those women now have some other options. There's something called molecular breast imaging. There are other um, ultrasound exams and so on. And the more women know about these things, the better. And who knows, in our lifetime, maybe there will be something that at least is reliable and at least complements mammograms and finds more cancer because we are making progress with breast cancer, but the fact is one in eight of us will still get it. And so I just want to add one other point. You know, no matter how many times you get a clear mammogram, you, you're so right that you go and you get that test and you stand there and you wonder, well, what's it going to be this time? It's a, it's, it takes you back a little bit. And you, yeah. so you want yeah. reliable equipment, you want options, and that's not just regarding diagnosis but also regarding treatment. There is no one way to go anymore. And one of the things I think is real exciting is that women who don't want reconstruction are reclaiming the right to stay flat. In the last year, there been, there's been more publicity about this, and there's a wonderful group on Facebook called Flat and Fabulous. Uh-huh. And as one of, <laughs> one of the women in that group told me, Pat, it's a choice. It just has to be on the menu. And it's, you're, she's so right, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's too many people get pressured into having reconstruction, their families and so on. And this is a very personal choice that women need to make and, and take time with. If, uh, a lot of times they have time to, to decide about surgery and whether they want to go through it with it or not. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm into women's leadership. That's what I basically do is women empowerment and women's leadership. So I think what has to start very, very early in girls' and women's lives is they understand the power that belongs to them and the yep. power to, uh, which is basically, this is my body, these are my choices. And, uh, you know, I can tell you two situations of doctors who said, if you're not going to listen to me, get another doctor, which, of course, I looked at them and said, okay, I think I will. And and the point mm-hmm. is, the point is, is that, you know, I think it's changing. I think definitely, I think the, the bedside manner and the, the protocol and the empathy and the sensitive, sensitivity training that goes on in medical schools is better than it was, which is basically, these are human beings. These, these are people that have rights, and basically you work with them as a team to, again, help provide the very best health care possible for them. You know, they're, they're not just... Uh, products. I mean, they're not pieces of whatever that you just kind of shuffle through your day with, but that sensitivity and that empathy training is is so very, very important that physicians or any health practitioner has and develops. And if they don't, they need to get the heck out. They need to get out of the profession. The other thing, of course, is, is the younger women. Because, as you said, the dense breast is one thing, but a lot of medical insurance doesn't cover women until a certain age. You know, they're saying, well, we, right. we, don't, we don't even bother to look at you until you're a certain age. 
and, I, and I'm sure insurance companies vary, but again, maybe states vary too. I don't know that for sure either. But, you know, until you're a certain age, they said, no, you're too young. We're, we're not going to give you a, a mammogram. You don't need one. There's real concern about that because while we've made progress against breast cancer, the death rate of breast cancer among black women has not dropped enough. And so a lot of these women are women under 50, and the current recommendations by some leading health organizations in the United States is to wait till 45 to have a mammogram. Well, that's too late for some of these women. And so there are big centers that are telling us to observe regular mammogram screenings so that we catch these things in younger women. We shouldn't be tightening up mammogram uh, age uh, restrictions. We should make them available to the women who are most at risk, and in many cases, it's women of color. Absolutely. But it takes, and, and congratulations and thanks to you, Patricia, it takes women like you, people like you, who are willing to take their expertise, as you said, you've been a, a medical uh, writer for years and years and years, to say, wait a minute, this is an issue and it needs to be talked about. And it's not something you simply just, you know, and you're right, I think a lot of people just assume people get, they have their breasts removed because of the cancer, with the cancer surgery, and then they have one just stuck back in there. After they take one out, they put one in, and it's just, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, it's not yeah. it's the trauma and the emotional journey that women take and make is very, very, uh, very, very important to talk about and to have support and have people like yourself and books like this so that they're able to understand. And, of course, have foundations, breast cancer foundations, like the ones that I'm involved with that say, wait a minute, we know what you, we, you know, we're here. Let's talk about it. We understand. What can we, what can we do? Support their efforts and support their families because, let's face it, if one person in the family has, has breast cancer, everybody has breast cancer. Everybody mm-hmm. in the family has it. And this is something also I think important to understand is a lot of us go, oh, wait a minute, it's my problem. It's not yours. I, I can take care of this myself. But, but you and I both know medically uh, it, and financially and emotionally and spiritually it affects the entire family when somebody's ill, when somebody's sick. It sure does, and, you know, a lot of people can't even work. I'm, I'm a volunteer with something called the Pink Fund, and it provides up to $3,000 in payments to men and women in breast cancer treatment for non-medical bills. Right. And it's because there are a lot of cancers bankrupting. It's financially damaging to a lot of families, and, you know, it does affect the entire family and its well-being. Yeah, so yeah, if, you can't, if, you, yeah if you can't pay the rent and pay the light bill. It's going to affect the whole family. It certainly does. And uh, one other point I want to make that women are not getting enough adequate information about is the kind of reconstruction that they should have after radiation. As you know, radiation may be an option for women with more what is called locally advanced breast cancer, something that gets into the lymph nodes and so on. And they may have their surgery but then have radiation, and they hold off on their reconstruction. Well, all the leading centers in the United States say that reconstruction with your own tissue, so-called autologous reconstruction, is the way to go. But uh, this after radiation, however, to this day, this is still one of the biggest misnomers. Women are being referred for implant reconstruction after radiation, and they really, that is not the way the top centers are handling this. And I mean, I'm just doing everything I can to get 
that kind of information out to people because something that important still is not being conveyed in today's healthcare market, and it's it's wrong. It it needs to be fixed. Yeah. Well, the good news is we've got Patricia. Yay! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a I'm now a full time breast reporter, and I I'm here to try to be the fly on the wall for women, guide them to the right places, and uh, I you know thank you for your chance to talk about some of these issues with you and get the word out to more people. Absolutely. Is there anything that that I haven't asked you that uh, that we should talk about? And then let's talk about how they can find the book and learn more about the things you're talking about today. Yeah. So my book, Breast Cancer Surgery and Reconstruction, What's Right for You, is available on Amazon.com. It's in a lot of public libraries. And if it's not, we ask people to go to their public library, ask them if they carry it, and ask them to carry it if they don't. And we also uh, you know, are getting out word about the book that way. It's coming out in paperback in December. Uh, the hardbound is 35. I will post information about its uh, paperback cost when I get it. But through your public library, Amazon, uh, and then my website, which will direct you into a whole bunch of free handouts and other videos and things that women can watch, that's at bcsurgerystories.com. BC uh-huh. as in breast cancer, surgerystories.com. So uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity there to tell more people about this, and I urge them to take advantage of some of the re- free resources on the website. Absolutely. This issue is not going away. If anything, it's wonderful to see more and more women become empowered to be educated and to have the support they so so necessarily and so importantly need. But uh, again, what's the what is the website again? Go ahead and give it to us again. It's BC as in breast cancer surgery stories dot com. BC surgery stories dot com. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for your time and what you're doing, and congratulate you. Uh, you are now one of the leading women. Leading women are women who basically are out there doing amazing things in the world to help other women. That is basically the the mission of Women Connect for Good, which is women helping to support other women's efforts to make their dreams come true, make their lives better. We are partnering with many organizations, Take the Lead, which is a leadership program. So, But again, it takes women like you that are willing to step forward, willing to take the lead, and to do something about the issues that are out there. And this is a huge issue, and thank you for taking the lead. There's no doubt this is so important and so needed. And, again, many, many thanks and many blessings in all things that you do. Thanks, Dr. Nancy. I'm, I'm here. I'm on the, the breastfeed, and I will be for a very long time. <laughs> well, there Thanks you so go. Well, your, your work is, uh, is not done, but I'm sure you're, you, along the way, find many, many other advocates, and that's the goal is to build that community that's going to be out there coming together. And I know the many women that you're helping will also turn around and help other women as well. I think that's where it all comes together because once a woman hears about some of these messages, she gets the word to others who are facing these same decisions. And we're not in it alone. There, We can all uh, benefit from the insights of others who've been there before us. And uh, that's uh, the most powerful thing I've done this year, I think, is connect women to the sources of information that will make them healthier and 
more comfortable and more confident in their decisions. And that's what we need to feel about all of our health care, right? Yeah, about everything in our lives because this is a big one. Well, you have a wonderful day. And, again, thank you for what you're doing and and being a champion for women. And uh, congratulations on your book. Thank you. And thanks for letting me uh, talk with you today. I look forward to hearing this. All right. Well, we'll we'll put this up on the website, and we'll get some information out there, and we'll see how we can help you. Okay. Thanks so much.